Chapter Twenty of the Lion's Skin by Raphael Sabatini. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mr. Carroll's identity. I must see Lord Ostermore. Had it been Mr. Carroll's wild cry as he strode to the door. From the other side of it there came a sound of steps and voices. Someone was turning the handle. Hortensia caught Mr. Carroll by the sleeve. But the letters she cried frantically and pointed to the incriminating papers which he had left forgotten upon the desk he stared at her a moment and memory swept upon him in a flood he mastered the wild agitation that had been swaying him thrust the paper that he was carrying into his pocket and turned to go back for the treasonable letters the taper he exclaimed and pointed to the extinguished candle on the floor what can we do a sharp blow fell upon the lock of the door he stood still looking over his shoulder quick make haste hortensia admonished him in her excitement get them conceal them at least do the best you can since we have not the means to burn them a second blow was struck succeeded instantly by a third and something was heard to snap the door swung open and green and rotherby sprang into the room a brace of footmen at their heels they were followed more leisurely by the countess whilst a little flock of servants brought up the rear but checked upon the threshold and hung there to witness events that held out such promise of being unusual mr carroll swore through set teeth and made a dash for the desk but he was too late to accomplish his object his hand had scarcely closed upon the letters when he was himself seized rotherby and green on either side of him held him in their grasp each with one hand upon his shoulder and the other at his wrist thus stood he powerless between them and after the first shock of it cool and making no effort to disengage himself his right hand was tightly clenched upon the letters rotherby called a servant forward take those papers from the thief's hand he commanded stop cried mr carroll lord rotherby may i speak with you alone before you go further in a matter which you will bitterly regret take those papers from him rotherby repeated swearing and the servant bent to the task but mr carroll suddenly wrenched the hand away from the fellow and the wrist out of lord rotherby's grip a moment my lord as you value your honour and your possessions he insisted let me speak with lord ostermore first take me before him you are before him now said rotherby say on i demand to see lord ostermore i am lord ostermore said rotherby you since when said mr carroll not even beginning to understand since ten minutes ago was the callous answer that first gave that household the news of my lord's passing there was a movement a muttering among the servants old humphreys broke through the group by the door his heavy chops white and trembling and in that moment hortensia turned awe-stricken to ask her ladyship was this true her ladyship nodded in silence hortensia cried out and sank to a chair as if beaten down by the news whilst the old servant answered too withdrew wringing his hands and making foolish laments 
and the tears of those were the only tears that watered the grave of john carroll fifth earl of ostermore as for mr carroll the shock of that announcement seemed to cast a spell upon him he stood still limp and almost numbed oh the never-ceasing irony of things that his father should have died at such a moment dead quoth he dead is my lord dead they told me he was recovering they told you false answered rotherby so now those papers mr carroll relinquished them take them he said since that is so take them rotherby received them himself remove his sword he bade a footman mr carroll looked sharply round at him my sword quoth he what do you mean by that what right we mean to keep you by us sir said mr green on his other side until you have explained what you were doing with those papers what is your interest in them meanwhile a servant had done his lordship's bidding and mr carroll stood weaponless amid his enemies he mastered himself at once here it was plain that he must walk with caution for the ground he perceived was of a sudden grown most insecure and treacherous rather be in green in league it gave him matter for much thought there's not the need to hold me said he quietly i am not likely to tire myself by violence there's scarcely necessity for so much rotherby looked up sharply the cool self-possessed tone had an intimidating note but mr green laughed maliciously as he continued to mop his still watering eyes he was acquainted with mr carroll's methods and knew that probably the more at ease he seemed the less at ease he was rotherby spread the letters on the desk and scanned them with a glowing eye mr green at his elbow reading with him the countess swept forward that she too might inspect this find they'll serve their turn said her son and added to carroll and they'll help to hang you no doubt you find me mentioned in them said mr carroll ay sir snapped green if not by name at least as the messenger who is to explain that which the writers the royal writer and the other have out of prudence seen fit to exclude hortensia looked up and across the room at that a wild fear clutching at her heart but mr carroll laughed pleasantly eyebrows raised as if in mild surprise <laughs> the most excellent relations appear to prevail between you said he looking from rotherby to green are you too my lord in the secretary's pay his lordship flushed darkly you'll clown it to the end he sneered and that's none so far off snarled mr green who since the peppering of his eyes had flung aside his usual cherubic air oh you may sneer sir he mocked the prisoner but we have you fast this letter was brought hither by you and this one was to have been carried hence by you the latter sir was a matter for the future and you can hardly prove what a man will do so we'll let that pass 
as for the former the letter which you say i brought you'll remember that you searched me at maidstone and i have your admission that the letter was upon you at the time roared the spy interrupting him your admission in the presence of that lady as she can be made to witness mistress winthrop rose tis a lie she said firmly i cannot be made to witness mr carroll smiled and nodded across to her tis vastly kind in you mistress winthrop but the gentleman is mistook he turned to green harkee sirrah did i admit that i had carried that letter mr green shrugged you admitted that you carried a letter what other letter should it have been but that nay smiled mr carroll tis not for you to ask me rather is it for you to prove that the letter i admitted having carried and that letter are one and the same twill take a deal of proving i dare swear you'll be forsworn then put in her ladyship sourly for i can witness to the letter that you bore not only did i see it a letter on that same fine paper in my husband's hands on the day you came here and during your visit but i have his lordship's own word for it that he was in the plot and that you were the go-between ah chuckled mr green what now sir what now by what fresh piece of acrobatics will you get out of that you're a fool said mr carroll with calm contempt and fetched out his snuff-box do you dream that one witness will suffice to establish so grave a charge Pah! he opened his snuff-box to find it empty and viciously snapped down the lid again Pah! he said again you've cost me a whole boxful of bergamot why did you throw it in my face demanded mr green what purpose did you look to serve but one of treason answer me that i didn't like the way you looked at me twas wanting respect and i bethought me i would lessen the impudence of your expression have you any other foolish questions for me and he looked again from green to rotherby including both in his inquiry no he rose in that case if you'll give me leave and you do not leave this house rotherby informed him i think you push hospitality too far will you desire your lackey to return me my sword i have affairs elsewhere mr carroll i beg that you will understand said his lordship with a calm that he was at some pains to maintain that you do not leave this house save in the care of the messengers from the secretary of state mr carroll looked at him and yawned in his face oh you're prodigiously tiresome said he did you but know how i detest disturbances what shall the secretary of state require of me he'll require you on a charge of high treason said mr green have you a warrant to take me i have not but then how do you dare detain me sir demanded mr carroll sharply do you think i don't know the law 
"'I think you'll know a deal more of it shortly,' countered Mr. Green. "'Meanwhile, sirs, I depart. Offer me violence at your peril.' He moved a step, and then, at a sign from Rotherby, the lackey's hands fell on him again and forced him back and down into his chair. "'Away with you for the warrant,' said Rotherby to Green. "'We'll keep him here till you return.' Mr. Green grinned at the prisoner and was gone in great haste. Mr. Carroll lounged back in his chair and threw one leg over the other. "'I have always endeavoured,' said he, "'to suffer fools as gladly as a Christian should. So since you insist, I'll be patient until I have the ear of my Lord Carteret, who, I take it, is a man of sense. But if I were you, my lord, and you, my lady,' i should not insist believe me you'll cut poor figures as for you my lord you're in none such good odour as it is let that be snarled his lordship if i mention it at all i but do so in your lordship's own interests it will be remembered that ye attempted to murder me once and that will not be of any great help to such accusations as you may bring against me besides which there is the unfortunate circumstance that it's widely known you're not a man to be believed will you be silent roared his lordship in a towering passion if i trouble myself to speak at all it is out of concern for your lordship mr carroll insisted sweetly and in your own interest and your ladyship's too i'd counsel you to hear me a moment without witnesses his tone was calculatedly grave lord rotherby looked at him sneering not so her ladyship less acquainted with his ways the absolute confidence and unconcern of his demeanour was causing her uneasiness a man who was perilously entrammelled would not bear himself so easily she opined she rose and crossed to her son's side what have you to say she asked mr carroll nay madam he replied not before these and he indicated the servants tis but a pretext to have them out of the room said rotherby mr carroll laughed the notion to scorn <laughs> oh if you think that i give you my word of honour to attempt no violence nor to depart until you shall give me leave said he rotherby judging mr carroll by his knowledge of himself still hesitated but her ladyship realized in spite of her detestation of the man that he was not of the temper of those whose word is to be doubted she signed to the footmen go she bade them wait within call they departed and mr carroll remained seated for all that her ladyship was standing it was as if by that he wished to show how little he was minded to move her ladyship's eye fell upon hortensia do you go too child she bade her instead hortensia came forward i wish to remain madam she said did i ask you what you wished demanded the countess my place is here hortensia explained unless mr carroll should himself desire me to depart nay nay he cried and smiled upon her fondly so fondly that the countess's eyes grew wider 
with all my heart i desire you to remain it is most fitting you should hear that which i have to say what does it mean demanded rotherby thrusting himself forward and scowling from one to the other of them what do you mean hortensia i am mr carroll's betrothed wife she answered quietly rotherby's mouth fell open but he made no sound not so her ladyship a peal of shrill laughter broke from her <laughs> la what did i tell you charles then to hortensia i'm sorry for you ma'am said she i think you've been a thought too long in making up your mind and she laughed again lord ostermore lies above stairs hortensia reminded her and her ladyship went white at the reminder the indecency of her laughter borne in upon her would ye lessen me girl she cried as much to cover her confusion as to vent her anger at the cause of it even odd daring by god you'll be well matched with his impudence there rotherby singularly self-contained recalled her to the occasion mr carroll is waiting said he a sneer in his voice ah yes she said and flashing a last malignant glance upon hortensia she sank to a chair beside her but not too near her mr carroll sat back his legs crossed his elbows on his chair arms his fingertips together the thing i have to tell you is of some gravity he announced by way of preface rotherby took a seat by the desk his hand upon the treasonable letters proceed sir he said importantly mr carroll nodded as in acknowledgment of the invitation i will admit before going further that in spite of the cheerful countenance i maintained before your lordship's friend the bum bailiff and your lackeys i recognize that you have me in a very dangerous position ah from his lordship in a breath of satisfaction and oh from hortensia in a gasp of apprehension her ladyship retained a stony countenance and a silence that sorted excellently with it there is mr carroll proceeded marking off the points on his fingers the incident at maidstone there is your ladyship's evidence that i was the bearer of just such a letter on the day that first i came here there is the dangerous circumstance of which mr green i am sure will not fail to make a deal of my intimacy with sir richard everard and my constant visits to his lodging where i was in fact on the occasion when he met his death there is the fact that i committed upon mr green an assault with my snuff-box for motives that after all admit of but one acceptable explanation and lastly there is the circumstance that apparently if interrogated i can show no good reason why i should be in england at all where no apparent interest has called me or keeps me now these matters are so trivial that taken separately they have no value whatever taken conjointly their value is not great they do not contain evidence enough to justify the hanging of a dog and yet i realize that disturbed as the times are 
fearful of sedition as the government finds itself in consequence of the mischief done to public credit by the south sea disaster and ready as the ministry is to see plots everywhere and to make examples pour discourager les autres if the accusation you intend is laid against me backed by such evidence as this it is not impossible indeed it is not improbable that it may ah tend to shorten my life sir sneered rotherby i declare you should have been a lawyer we haven't a pleader of such parts and such lucidity at the whole bar mr carroll nodded his thanks your praise is very flattering my lord said he with a wry smile and then proceeded it is because i see my case to be so very nearly desperate that i venture to hope you will not persevere in the course you are proposing to adopt lord rotherby laughed noiselessly can you urge me any reasons why we should not if you could urge me any reasons why you should said mr carroll no doubt i should be able to show you under what misapprehensions you are laboring he shot a keen glance at his lordship whose face had suddenly gone blank mr carroll smiled quietly there is in this something that i do not understand he resumed it does not satisfy me to suppose as at first might seem that you are acting out of sheer malice against me you have scarcely cause to do that my lord and you my lady have none that fool green patience he conceives that he has suffered at my hands but without your assistance mr green would be powerless to hurt me what then is it that is moving you he paused looking from one to the other of his declared enemies they exchanged glances hortensia watching them breathless her own mind working too upon this question that mr carroll had set yet nowhere finding an answer i had thought said her ladyship at last that you promised to tell us something that it was in our interest to hear instead you appear to be asking questions mr carroll shifted in his chair one glance he gave the countess then smiled i have sought at your hands the reasons why you should desire my death said he slowly you withhold them be it so i take it that you are ashamed of them and so their nature is not difficult to conjecture sir began rotherby hotly half starting from his seat nay let him trundle on charles said his mother he'll be the sooner done instead proceeded mr carroll as if there had been no interruption i will now urge you my reasons why you should not so proceed ha huh, snapped rotherby they will need to be valid mr carroll twisted farther round to face his lordship more fully they are as valid said he very impressively so impressively and sternly that his hearers felt themselves turning cold under his words filled with some mysterious apprehension they are as valid as were my reasons for holding my hand in the field out yonder 
when I had you at the mercy of my sword, my lord, neither more nor less. From that you may judge them to be very valid. But you don't name them, said her ladyship, attempting to conquer her uneasiness. I shall do so, said he, and turned again to his lordship. I had no cause to love you that morning, nor at any time, my lord. I had no cause to think, as even you in your heart must realize, if so be that you have a heart, and the intelligence to examine it. I had no cause to think, my lord, that I should be doing other than a good deed by letting drive my blade, that such an opinion was well-founded, was proven by the thing you did when I turned my back upon you after sparing your useless life. Rotherby broke in tempestuously, smiting the desk before him. If you think to move us to mercy by such— Oh, not to mercy would I move you, said Mr. Carroll, his hand raised to stay the other. Not to mercy, but to horror of the thing you contemplate and then in an oddly impressive manner he launched his thunderbolt know then that if that morning i would not spill your blood it was because i should have been spilling the same blood that flows in my own veins it was because you are my brother because your father was my father no less than that was the reason that withheld my hand he had announced his aim of moving them to horror, and it was plain that he had not missed it, for in frozen horror sat they all, their eyes upon him, their cheeks ashen, their mouths agape, even Hortensia, who from what already Mr. Carroll had told her, understood now more than any of them. After a spell, Rotherby spoke. "'You are my brother,' he said his voice colorless my brother what are you saying and then her ladyship found her voice who was your mother she inquired and her very tone was an insult not to the man who sat there so much as to the memory of poor antoinette de maligny he flushed to the temples then paled again i'll not name her to your ladyship said he at last in a cold imperious voice i'm glad you've so much decency she countered you mistake i think said he tis respect for my mother that inspires me and his green eyes flashed upon the painted hag she rose up a very fury what are you saying she shrilled do you hear the filthy fellow rotherby he'll not name the wanton in my presence out of respect for her for shame madam you are speaking of his mother cried hortensia hot with indignation pshaw tis all an impudent lie a pack of lies cried rotherby he's crafty as all the imps of hell mr carroll rose here in the sight of god and by all that i hold most sacred i swear that what i have said is true i swear that lord ostermore your father was my father i was born in france in the year sixteen ninety 
as I have papers upon me that will prove, which you may see, Rotherby. His lordship rose. Produce them, said he shortly. Mr. Carroll drew from an inner pocket of his coat the small leather case that Sir Richard Everard had given him. From this he took a paper which he unfolded. It was a certificate of baptism, copied from the register of the Church of St. Antoine in Paris. Rotherby held out his hand for it, but Mr. Carroll shook his head. Stand here beside me and read it, said he. Obeying him, Rotherby went and read that authenticated copy wherein it was declared that Sir Richard Everard had brought to the Church of St. Antoine for baptism a male child which he had declared to be the son of John Carroll, Viscount Rotherby, and Antoinette de Maligny, which had received in baptism the name of Justin. Rotherby drew away again, his head sunk on his breast. Her ladyship was seated, her eyes upon her son, her fingers drumming absently at the arms of her chair. Then Rotherby swung round again. "'How do I know that you are the person designated there, this Justin Carroll?' "'You do not, but you may. Cast your mind back to that night at White's when you picked your quarrel with me, my lord. Do you remember how Stapleton and Collis spoke up for me?' declared that they had known me from boyhood at Oxford, and had visited me at my chateau in France. What was the name of that chateau, my lord? Do you remember? Rotherby looked at him, searching his memory, but he did not need to search far. At first glance the name of Maligny had seemed familiar to him. It was Maligny, he replied, and yet... If more is needed to convince you, I can bring a hundred witnesses from France who have known me from infancy. You may take it that I can establish my identity beyond all doubt. And what if you do? demanded her ladyship suddenly. What if you do establish your identity as my lord's bastard? What claim shall that be upon us? That, ma'am, answered Mr. Carroll very gravely, I wait to learn from my brother here. End of chapter 20